Welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best way to follow players, stats, storylines, and tournaments going on in the world of professional volleyball. And the tournament we are going to be talking about today on this podcast is the FIVB Olympic Qualifying Tournaments, which took place over the last weekend. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably watched them, or at the very least were aware of them and kind of familiar with the results. So on this podcast, I won't go over the individual results as much as I'll discuss some of the storylines going forward for each of the teams. Hope you enjoy the podcast. So first of all, congrats to the six teams that have qualified for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Those teams are Brazil, Poland, Argentina, Russia, Italy, and the USA. No real upsets in that bunch. The only one that could be considered slightly an upset was the seventh ranked international team, Argentina, beating the sixth ranked national team, Canada. That doesn't mean we weren't close to some upsets. There are some very intense games on Sunday, but I'll go through those as I go through each of the pools individually. And since we started with Pool A when we were doing the previews, this podcast is going to start with Pool F, which included Argentina, Canada, Finland, and China. And interestingly enough, this pool actually wasn't decided until the last day when China played Argentina. And China was probably one of the teams that me and Rob missed on the most in our preview podcast after their horrible Nations League performance where they really struggled to stop any team's offense. They actually played really well against some pretty strong opponents in this pool. They barely lost to Canada on Saturday. And again, they only lost to Argentina in five and had a few opportunities to take the game. Lieb and Liu, their outsider, had a great weekend. Zhang Xuan was doing his thing as usual, attacking a lot of the balls in this offense. Zhang Zeja, who I think is definitely their best middle, had a pretty good weekend, including seven aces in the game against Canada. Pretty crazy stuff. And I also like the way their setter Yao Shen Yu ran the offense. So China still may be a contender for the Asian Continental Tournament in January. Another team that will have to try and qualify through the Continental Qualifier is Canada who lost a heartbreaker against Argentina in the second game of the whole tournament. So it put a bit of a damper on the weekend as a Canadian. Argentina was a strong opponent, but it was definitely a winnable game for Canada, especially in the third set where Argentina was leading by quite a bit. Nick Hogue goes on a great service run to put them up. And unfortunately, the game ends on two unforced hitting errors by Nick Hogue. So he brought them in the game, but he also took him out of it. And then after that set, the momentum kind of shifted in Argentina's favor. Luciano De Checo did a great job of forcing the middles to stay home, even on bad passes. He's so good at finding that middle set in seemingly impossible situations. Did a great job of mixing it up between front row and back row too. Was really good about finding opportunities for Facundo Conte, Bruno Limo, and Pereira to hit out of the back row. And then Facundo Conte, who was just spectacular all weekend, was hitting really, really sharp angles. I don't think there's anyone better at hitting cross-court before the attack line than Conte, like I mentioned, hitting really good back row balls, and also had a few nice serving runs during the weekend and wasn't a liability in service eve either. So congrats to Argentina, qualified for the Olympics. Doesn't have to go through the South American qualifiers, which they almost definitely would have won anyway. Which is the only unfortunate thing about Argentina winning over Canada, is that now we're going to get, I don't want to say undeserving, but definitely a less strong team qualifying out of the South American region. In my opinion, and seems like many others, it's going to be Chile, who participated in the FIVB Challenger Cup. Did not do very well there, but the competition they will face in the South American qualifiers will be a lot weaker. Canada still not able to find a full-time starting role for TJ Sanders, which is too bad because even though I really like Brett Walsh as a player, I think he's a great setter. I think TJ Sanders fits 
in a bit better with the identity of this team. He obviously has a very good connection with Graham Vigras, and I also think he sets a much better ball to Shawan Vernon Evans, who struggled a bit this weekend. We were kind of hoping that we saw that Shawan Vernon Evans that we saw before he got injured in Nations League, but he seemed a little bit more hesitant, and there were a couple of miscues between him and Brett Walsh. So other than that, Canada's middles were very efficient, but for the most part, we were forced to rely on our outside hitters, Nick Hogue, Gord Perrin, and Stephen Marr. And while they were great at blocking and back row defense for the most part this weekend, they did struggle to score against a lot of the double and triple blocks coming from Argentina and China. I noticed a lot of times they were trying to go over the block, trying to hit fingertips on the way out, but mostly that just resulted in either misses or pretty easy rebound opportunities for the opponents. We'll see if Glenn Hogue and the outside hitters decide to change something up for the Continental Qualifying Tournament in January. Canada should definitely be favorites in that tournament as well. Although we know what happened in 2015 when they were favorites against Cuba as well. And Cuba, as I mentioned later in the podcast, looking pretty good. And they will be adding some big name players in that tournament as well. So by no means is Canada in the Olympics a foregone conclusion. And for Finland, they showed up with a bit of a younger group than I expected. A lot of players kind of born 1994 and younger. They had Turvaporti settling things down as a setter, but they were missing Urpo Savula for some consistency in attacking and it kind of showed during the tournament not a great showing for Finland but give these guys a few more years of training and time playing together and maybe we'll see what they can do. In Pool E, Russia cruised by everyone just as we expected. The way they did it though was a bit unexpected. They brought Alexander Butko, Dmitry Mazursky, and Maxim Mikhailov to St. Petersburg to play in the qualifier but only two of them played. The guy who got the most reps was Alexander Butko who Samuel Vulo clearly trusted as the number one setting option for Russia, and I think rightly so. He still is a very strong setter, hasn't lost too much bounce on his block or on his serve, so he's still effective in those areas. He did a very good job connecting with some of the younger guys, which was the worry I had before with Buko. Mazursky didn't see a ton of time, but still got in for important points. Didn't get a huge amount of volume though, especially compared to how much he got at the World Championships in last year's VNL Finals. Wasn't quite as dominant, looked a little bit slow on the blocks going left to right. His approach has always been slow, but it looked especially slow this weekend. Still an effective middle though, he's, he's 7-3. Although his poor play for his very lofty standards could be chalked up to the fact that he's switching to playing middle after playing opposite all year on the Suntory Sunbirds. But the most surprising thing was that in the game against Iran, the deciding game to see who got an automatic qualifying spot for the Olympics, that Samovulo decided to go with Viktor Politaev instead of Maxim Mikhailov, who in my opinion is still one of the best opposite players, if not the best opposite, in the entire world. To Mikhailov's credit, he was very gracious about the whole thing. He said to the media kind of before the weekend that if they went with Politaev in important games, he's totally ready to give the young guy a chance to prove him stuff. He said that he was an exceptional player, one of the best opposite spikers in the world. So as usual, Mikhailov very classy about the whole situation, but still a little surprising to me that he did not get in once the entire weekend. Of course, Politaev played out of his mind, was one of the key players for Russia in beating Iran and in beating Cuba, so there was no real reason to take him out of the match at any point. But it does create an interesting question for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, which is who's going to start, Viktor Politaev or Maxim Mikhailov, who's still an extremely effective opposite attacker. I'm interested to hear what you guys think, whether it would be Politaev or Mikhailov. Maybe I'll talk about who I would prefer on the next podcast. For Iran, this is kind of their second poor showing in a major tournament this summer. First was the VNL Final Six in Chicago, where they lost to Poland's B team and also to Brazil. And this weekend at the Olympic qualifiers, where they got crushed by Russia, but also 
barely, barely held on to beat Cuba in a five-set game on the first day. One area where Iran has really struggled, which we thought they may have figured out during the Volleyball Nations League group phase, was their second outside hitter. And in that group phase where they went 12-3, and we thought Poria Fiazzi was going to be the guy next to Malata Badapur, who is maybe not a star hitter and probably the fourth or even fifth option in your offense, but would provide some stability and some consistency from serve receive and from the service line. However, he struggled quite a bit this weekend, was taken out very early on in the game against Russia, and his replacement was Javad Manavi, who I actually like better as a player. He plays for Verona in the Italian Super League, but Manavi just couldn't get a kill to save his life. He really struggled offensively, was hitting out, was hitting into the block, was hitting into defenders. Just not a good look for the OH2 of Iran, no matter who it was. But they're still quite a strong team, had some really good moments against Russia and against Cuba, and they will certainly be the favorites to come out of Asia in the Continental Tournament in January. But the biggest surprise of this pool, and probably one of the biggest surprises of the entire tournament in terms of a team that we underrated going in, was Cuba. They played Russia a lot tougher and tighter than Iran did, which to me was a bit surprising for this particular group of players. They're a bit of a unique team in terms of their strength and weaknesses. They have a few really strong jump servers who can go on big service runs and take teams completely out of system, even good passing teams like Russia and Iran, but they're also liable to miss quite a few of those serves as well, which can take them out of games and ruin any momentum they have. They have a pretty strong block as well, with a lot of guys reaching well, well above the net and sealing off any attacking options their opponents have, but then behind the block they look uninterested and really slow on defense. There were so many balls I was watching this weekend where it would just drop between two defenders who barely made an effort to go get the ball. So I don't know if that's a coaching thing or an effort thing or they're very good vertical athletes but slow horizontal athletes. But that's something that looks like it can be improved upon and one of their bigger weaknesses right now. But their biggest strength is guys who are just completely undiggable if they get a good contact on the ball. This is pretty common with Cuban players, as you know, Wilfredo Leon, Yoandri Leal, Robert Landy Simon, not guys who get dug very often, but players like Marlin, but players like Herrera, Mejereo, and Yang were making it very frustrating for defenders behind the blockers because even if they got part of their arm or part of their platform on the ball, it often had so much force that it just went right into the stands. So Cuba going to be a dangerous force in the Continental Qualifiers in January. We'd thought that probably Robert Landy Simon would actually be joining for this tournament, but it turns out he will probably wait until January, until the Continental Qualifiers, to play with Cuba, which certainly adds another element of offense, blocking, and service to this team, and are really going to give Canada a run for their money. I would still favor Canada, but with Simon, and especially Fierre Zulo and Michael Sanchez joining the team, going to be a tight one. And Mexico was the last team in this pool, and nobody played their starters against them, so nothing really to discuss there. Pool D was one of my most hyped pools coming into this weekend. Didn't really live up to that. Poland turned out to be even better than some of my high expectations. Completely crushed France. Didn't sweat too much against Slovenia. Qualified for Tokyo 2020, so the other European teams don't have to worry about playing them again in January, which I'm sure they're very relieved by. Wilfredo Leon on Poland. Wow, what an experience it was to watch that. This Polish team is probably one of the strongest breakpoint teams we've seen like in a long time. They're serving with Wilfredo Leon on the team, just has improved so much. He's definitely the only player in volleyball where you can hear a murmur when he goes beyond the service line. People can tell people are starting to talk about it. They get really excited when he goes back to serve, and for a good reason too, because there's no one in the world who I would 
rely on more to get aces than Wilfredo Leon. And that's adding to a pretty strong serving lineup other than him with Matej Biniak as probably the best middle server in the world. Mikhail Kubiak, Alex Schlifka, Bartosz Bednorz, Bartosz Schwolek, all with really strong serves. Not a fun team to pass against, for sure. And even if you do pass it, you know you're going to run up against a very strong block as well. Vidal Heinen, I think that's one of his best talents, is really getting the most out of his teams in terms of blocking. You can see that even Wilfredo Leon, there's a big contrast to how he was blocking with Perugia versus how he's blocking with Poland. It's a lot tighter, a lot more sealed to the net, delaying his jumps a bit. And it always helps when you have guys like Novakovsky, Biniak, and Kloche to help seal that block. Their main competition for this weekend was supposed to be France, but that ended up being a pretty solid 3-0 route. Poland with very few issues dealing with the French team, who really, really struggled to find any sort of offense against Poland. There were a couple lineup decisions I didn't agree with for France and Laurent Tilly. Irvin Engapet didn't have his best game, but I think if you're going to try and beat Poland, then you just have to keep him in and hope he can figure his offense and serving out, so I don't mind that decision. But keeping Kevin Tillian for Trevor Cleveneau and Thibaut Rossard, something I don't necessarily agree with. Tilly's a very good player, excellent defensive outside hitter. But I think against Poland, you need a bit more oomph in your offense. So guys like Trevor Cleveneau, and especially Thibaut Rossard, who can take Poland out of system, hit the back row ball really well, and just score points in general, I think that's more useful than what Kevin Tilly brought to the team. And then also, in my opinion, Antoine Broussard was brought in too late for Tony Udi. Tony Udi, one of the best setters in the world, probably the best hands out of any setter in the world. But Antoine Broussard brings a lot more in blocking and service, and if you're not scoring points anyway, why not try a different setter out? See what Antoine Broussard can do. Gives a bit more size to that front line. But he wasn't tried out until it was already far too late for France. There was a bit of controversy after the game where Irvin Engapet put in his Instagram story complaining about how France had to play Poland in the morning after they had already played Slovenia the night earlier. Definitely a valid complaint in my opinion. You get to sleep less if you play a night game and then a morning game the game after. And it was definitely a bit of gamesmanship from the Polish organizing staff to play the game in the morning after France had played that night and set them up intentionally like that. Definitely completely within the rules, mind you, but in my opinion, kind of poor sportsmanship. It should probably be the FIVB moderating the timing of games in a tournament as important as this. VNL, sure, whatever. Teams probably don't care when and who they play, but in a tournament like this, there should be a secondary checking process at least for the FIVB to kind of sniff out situations like that and just configure a few things around. Because it does seem like a very simple thing to solve, just don't have exactly this combination of games taking place. Any other combination probably would have been fine by France. However, I don't really see any more rest or any different combination of players really would have made that much of a difference against Poland. They definitely seem like the much superior opponent and at this point are probably the favorites for Tokyo 2020. Slovenia played a pretty decent weekend of volleyball, lost against France and Poland, but in my opinion, put up a pretty good fight against both. I still think they'll be a fringe contender to qualify through the Continental Championships in January. However, the odds of that are pretty low. They have good players, but I don't think they have the serving and blocking game that allows a lot of these stronger teams to go on some runs. Tunisia won a set against France and had 16 blocks in that game, kill blocks, so pretty impressive for them, but that's about all they accomplished this weekend. Pool C was another pool that was very hyped up going into this weekend. Italy versus Serbia, one of the most exciting matchups in the whole tournament on paper. Unfortunately, that did not end up being the most exciting game of the weekend, as has kind of been the theme 
throughout the Olympic qualifying tournaments. They were playing a win-or-go-home match, but Italy just absolutely crushed Serbia 3-0 after a bit of a stumble against Australia the day before, where they only managed to beat Australia in five sets, so let Australia take a couple off of the Azzurri. So I think that had people maybe worried about Sunday, a lot of Italian fans wondering that if they put up the same performance and same level of play that they did against Australia, that they would really struggle to beat Serbia. And that didn't end up being the case. Italy played a lot better. Juan Torreina and Zaitsev made up for kind of a pedestrian performance against Australia. Even Zaitsev got subbed out towards the end of the game for Gabriele Nelly. But they made up for it on Sunday. Although, as usual with Serbia, it was as much a Serbia loss as it was an Italian win. Marko Ivovic and Alexander Atanasevic had some of their worst offensive performances I've seen from them recently. Atanasevic especially had a lot of opportunities, had some single blocks that he uh, was not able to score on, didn't really contribute from the service line, which was kind of an issue for the whole Serbian team. Traditionally, a team that has a lot of strong servers, Marko Ivovic, Aleksandar Tanasevic, Erlo Skovacevic, Sreko Lizanac, all guys who are easily able to get aces on their respective club teams, but it just didn't come together in this game. Part of the issue with being a team that relies on serve as a big part of its identity is that sometimes the jump spin serves are just not going in, and that happened against Italy. Not the only reason they lost, though. There was a breakdown in reception as well. They were not able to get Nikola Jovovic in a position where he was able to run the middles and run the type of offense that Nikola Gerbic wanted to run. And, you know, Jovovic kind of struggles a bit to find those wing hitters out of system like we mentioned in the preview podcast but kudos to Italy that game against Australia was a little rough but they still managed to qualify and Serbia will have to go through the gauntlet of the European qualification tournament in January where probably their biggest opponent will be France who looked very beatable against Poland as I mentioned so it's going to be interesting to see who comes out of Europe looking forward to that tournament Australia as I mentioned took two sets off of Italy was competitive in the fifth set as well, took a set off of Serbia, and managed to wreck Cameroon 3-0. Lincoln Williams was great in the game against Italy, really put a lot of pressure on with his jump serve, that he is really good at finding kind of the last couple feet of the court with, makes it really tough for receivers to get the ball close to the net when you put it that deep with your jump serve. James Weir, a Brandon Bobcat, also had a really good weekend, was effective against Italy, especially with kind of a nasty float serve, and also hit 12 for 17 against Serbia. So maybe Australia has found one of their middle blockers for the future in James Weir, who's still a fairly young guy. Like I predicted on the preview podcast, their outside hitters did struggle to score and pass. Luke Smith and Sam Walker definitely didn't have a bad weekend, but gave up some easy aces, especially against float servers, which they seem to struggle with quite a bit, and also made a few more attacking errors than you would have liked, but solid play all around from Australia. They should be competitive at the Asian Continental Qualifiers in January. They have a lot of young guys who are kind of C-plus and B-minus tier prospects. Guys who can contribute on a solid team but are never going to be elite players on their club. Except for Luke Perry, but there's only so much you can contribute from the libero position. So I like Australia, but I'm still waiting on that young guy to come through the system that just is able to put the offense on his back. And preferably an outside hitter would be really nice for this team to have. In Pool B, we had the Netherlands, Belgium, the USA, and Korea. And while the Americans did win the pool, the team that gave them the most trouble was not the team that I expected in the preview podcast. 
I really thought that Belgium with Sam Derue, Peter Verheist, Thomas Rousseau, Just Dronkers, and, and the rest of those guys would give the USA their hardest game of the pool. But it actually turned out to be the Netherlands, who, despite doing pretty well at the World Championships last September, I may have underrated it a bit because I thought their performance at the World Championships, they played above the talent level of their team, and also they lost a couple starters on that team who were just decided to retire from playing for the Dutch national team. But some of the young guys coming in for the Netherlands were surprisingly good, namely their setter Gleis van Solkima, and then one of their middles, who was actually Celeste Plaque's younger brother, Fabian Plaque, provided some surprisingly high-level play for the Netherlands, considering they are 20 and 21 years old, respectively. And they've clearly come up through the youth system a bit and played with each other before because they had some really solid connections with each other. Von Solkima was not afraid to find Plaque well off the net. Great, great first tempo sets and runs between those two. Looking forward to what they can do in the future. And they were bolstered by some impressive play by Thijs Terhorst and Namir Abdelaziz, who after a bit of a down season in the Italian Super League playing for Milano, really proved why he is still one of the top opposites in the world. One of the only guys who can absolutely crush and bounce out of system balls, just finds the most ridiculous angles around the block and hits it pretty much straight down. As for Belgium, they lost to both Team USA and the Netherlands by pretty big margins and even struggled a bit versus South Korea. Sam Derue and Peter Verhees were definitely the MVPs of this team. Both really solid blockers, really solid attackers. Thomas Rousseau played all right as well, but the rest of the team just, just didn't really have it. Especially, I thought there was some surprisingly poor play from the setter position. Stein de Ulst, we saw him play great with Lube Civitanova this year, his club team, however. He definitely seems like more of a viable option as a backup setter rather than a starter because he just gets absolutely abused in the block, more so than maybe any other setter I've seen. Even guys like Ben Taniuti and TJ Sanders, who are a bit on the short side, still have a pretty good vertical to make up for their lack of height, but Steindulz doesn't have the height, also doesn't have the athleticism, so led to some moments like one I posted on Instagram where Aaron Russell just was hitting pretty much a foot over Dehulz's block, and no matter how good your back row defense is, you're not going to be able to dig when there's basically no slowing down your opponent's attack. Bram Vandegrees just was not scoring well from the opposite position, not sure if he's fully healthy or not, but he was frequently subbed out for Hendricks Tuerlinks. Good player, but Ideally, you would like to have Vandendries as your full-time starting option, provides a little more height, a little more power, and a little more blocking. After seeing Belgium play together at this tournament, not seeing their A-team really play together since the World Championships last year, I have to say I'm a bit down on them for the European Championships and for the Continental Qualifiers in January. I just want to shout out South Korea as well, another team that we hadn't really seen their A-team play together for a long time, having lost their spot in Volleyball Nations League in the first official edition. But they actually looked really solid, did not look like a complete pushover team, took the Netherlands to five sets, kind of played the USA a little tight, at least at the start of some of their sets. Shi Suk Jung, I think, could play in a lot of high-level leagues around the world and looks even better than we, when we last saw him. Shin Young Suk, after being injured for 2018 Nations League, comes back and, and looks pretty good. He's one of the highest paid players in the Korean V-League and for a good reason. He's a very competent middle. So we'll see, Korea could be a contender in January at the Asian Continental Tournament. And they've also had a lot of success at the youth level, have a good group coming up that placed pretty well in the U21 World Championships this summer. So who knows, maybe Korea could be the dominant Asian team in half a decade, although Iran has a really good group coming through the youth system as well. 
And then finally, our last pool to talk about today, Pool A ended up being way more interesting than expected. Probably had the most interesting game of the entire tournament, which took place on Sunday, second last game of the tournament between Brazil and Bulgaria. And despite my predictions and a lot of people's predictions that Brazil would absolutely torch Bulgaria, get out of there with three sets, very strong play from Bulgaria and a ridiculous and passionate home crowd in Varna actually won Bulgaria the first two sets. Unfortunately for Bulgaria, Brazil won a tightly contested third set, and once they started figuring out their play and getting that momentum going, there's no stopping a team like Brazil, which came back, won in five sets, and qualified for the Olympics. And I have to admit, I was rooting pretty hard for Bulgaria in this match. Not because I have anything against Brazil, they're strong team, still one of the strongest in the world, despite what anyone may say about their play at the VNL finals and during this tournament. But I was rooting against them because if they didn't make it, they would have easily qualified through the South American qualifiers. We would have had another European team in the Olympics that may not be a medal contender, but at least will put up a fight against any team. And we wouldn't have to have Chile or Uruguay or Venezuela or something like that at the Olympics, which would just improve the level of the most important competition in volleyball. But now, since Argentina and Brazil qualified in the respective pools, well done to them. They don't have to worry about qualifying in January, but because they both qualified in Canada and Bulgaria didn't, or even China was pretty close, it's going to decrease the level of play at the Olympics, which is unfortunate. But Brazil showed a lot of fight coming back in those last three sets. Bulgaria's serve, normally a point of weakness for them, not because they don't get aces, but because they miss a lot of serves. And if they aren't getting those aces... A lot of times the serves aren't putting a ton of pressure on the opponent. However, the blocking was working well for Bulgaria in this match. One of the things that I predicted could potentially put them over the top against Brazil. And the other guy, who you'll know if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, a guy that I talked a lot about on Chaumont, as a guy who could be a contributor to the Bulgarian national team in the future, that is Martin Atanasov, who hit 15 for 23 in the match against Brazil. Scored two aces, got a block, and looked really good. Super, super athletic guy if you have not watched him play. Gets up really high on his block, gets up super high on his attack, has a lot of angles to work with up in the air. Still figuring out the rest of the game, but I see a lot of potential with his serve. Went on a couple runs, still very error prone though. But I think this guy can be one of the building blocks that Bulgaria builds around after Sokolov and Yosefov retire. See a lot of potential in this guy, and I'm surprised he's not been picked up by a better league already. Still playing in France next year. Yorgi Saganov, Rosalind Penchev, and Todor Skrimov were fantastic as well. Can't believe it took so long for Bulgaria to get rid of that older generation of players who were great in their time, but I think were well over the hill in the last few years of competitive play. Unfortunately, Todor Skrimov suffered what it looked like a pretty serious injury in the first set against Brazil. Hopefully it's not too bad, but as far as I know, we haven't really heard about the severity of the injury and how long it will take for recovery, but probably safe to say that he won't be competing in the European Championships. Brazil looked okay for the most part. Maybe they wouldn't win an Olympic medal playing like they did this weekend, but I don't think they've been as bad as a lot of people were saying. Uandri Leal is clearly the focal point of their offense. Seems like their best attacker right now. Had a lot of good moments throughout this game, even when the rest of Brazil wasn't playing well. I have to say I am a bit concerned about Wallace, though. He definitely seemed a little slower and less athletic than he has previously. 
he is starting to get to the age at 32 where guys start to lose a little bit of athleticism, especially horizontally, where I think Wallace really excelled. As much as he could jump really high, he could also jump really far on some of his broad jump-like attacks, which is always a big part of his game. And if he starts to lose that, he becomes a less effective hitter. Not ready to close the book on him before he plays two tournaments in a row like this, but it'd be interesting to see for Wallace if, if this continues to be an issue. It's nice to see Mauricio Souza back after he suffered that injury during Volleyball Nations League. Flavio continues to be a really strong uh, contender for starting middle on Brazil. Great play from him. Really strong serving, strong blocking, strong attacking. Just a very good overall weekend from Flavio. We ended up seeing more Bruno than Cachopa. Thought that might have been a possibility that Cachopa got in a bit more than he did, but it was mostly Bruno relied upon in big moments. And Brazil doesn't really have any volleyball to worry about until the World Cup in October. It will be interesting to see if they decide to send their A-team to that event. So pretty enjoyable event overall. Lots of volleyball over the last three days. I think I pretty much got to watch every big game. Wasn't watching any Puerto Rico versus Egypt games or anything like that, but everything was spread out enough that you could really watch all the most important games if you wanted to. There didn't end up being any huge upsets in terms of who qualified for the Olympics. But there were certainly some very close calls with China almost qualifying in Pool F, Bulgaria almost qualifying in Pool A. So there were certainly some interesting threads to keep track of. It is unfortunate that there were some issues regarding scheduling for Serbia and France. Definitely a lot of kind of desperate and depressed players on those European teams knowing what they're going to have to go through in January in the European qualifiers and knowing that most likely their hopes of getting to the Olympics are pretty much slim to none with only one more European spot available. That plus the kind of wonky FIVB ranking system, which caused some unevenness in the quality of the pools, definitely put a bit of a damper on the overall weekend. But I would still say it's a successful tournament overall, and I wouldn't mind if they used this tournament going forward for the Olympics. I do believe that there have been some rumors that the FIVB will be changing their way in which they rank national teams after this year so that could be a step in the right direction and then if they also fix the scheduling where Poland can just choose to have France play Slovenia like 18 hours before they play themselves all the issues with this tournament would pretty much disappear so not tough fixes but fixes that do have to be made. There's no significant volleyball being played until the start of September when the continental championships like Norseca and Eurovolley start. So players, coaches, training staff, fans, everyone gets a bit of a vacation here at the end of August. So I hope you enjoy it and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks.